Good morning again, everyone. Uh, isn't God good? Yeah. A uh, couple of quick things before we get started this morning. It is time to bring candy, y'all. And uh, I see some candy back there on the coffee counter. Just come and bring it, put it on the coffee counter, and we will just shower the neighborhood with candy. Everybody knows in, the, in this neighborhood, this is where you come to get the candy. And uh, so just come, just bring it. If there's no trick-or-treating this year, uh, at Rock Island just announced that they're having it, so we're good there. Moline hasn't announced yet, so they probably will. Oh, you know, so uh, come at, or bring candy, and we will pass it out, and that would be awesome. So, and then the other thing is, uh, oh, yeah, and by the way, Halloween is on Saturday, the 31st of this year, Saturday, so uh, come. And if you could be here at 4 to help set up, we'll go from 5 to 7, we'll clean up, we'll go home. And then we'll come back the next morning and worship. So, yeah. Uh, so it'd be great. Tonight, 6 o'clock, Holy Spirit night. And uh, so I would really encourage you to come. Just come. What we just experienced, we're going to do for a little while tonight. And we're going to pray and we're going to worship together. And uh, we, we know that God moves, you know, from our prayers, right? Uh, God does nothing but in response to prayer. And so we believe that. We believe that God hears our prayers, that he loves our prayers. We believe that our prayers make a difference. And so we're going to come tonight. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for the church. We're going to pray for our city. We're going to pray for everything. All right? Pray for our nation. Holy cow. You know, it's funny because Wendy kind of gave me the nod. Once you, when you've been married for a long time and doing ministry for a long time, she kind of gave me that look like, do you have anything? And, uh, and I, as we were worshiping today, I, I had this picture of, of an old school radio. Remember I talked about last week about, you know, kind of staying up when I was a kid with the radio next to my bed, a little clock radio, and a little warm glow of the light listening to the radio as I drift off to sleep. And, uh, but I got this picture of a radio dial, and, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit was saying that, you know, we, we in general, we tend to tune into all the wrong things. Our attention, our focus is on all the wrong things. And, uh, and I think we as a church, we as a city, as a nation right now are tuned into all the wrong things. And God is saying, hey, tune in, tune into me, tune into my spirit, tune into my word, because what we tune into, and Wendy kind of hit on it a little bit about we tend to tune into our circumstance rather than tuning into the godly potential and tuning into the kingdom and tuning into what God can do, the God of the impossible. And so, because, listen, I, you know, I'm old enough to know that what we tune into becomes our reality. What we, what we, you know, our attention is a limited commodity. Your attention is a limited commodity. You only have so much attention. You do not have unlimited attention to tune into anything and everything with unlimited capacity. You have a limited uh, attention uh, budget, you might say. And we need to spend our attention budget on the right things. Because what we tune into becomes our reality. And that, you know, that's just true. When you tune into hope, when you tune into love, when you tune into Jesus and his kingdom, that becomes our reality. And the, what happens when we spend our attention budget on all the wrong things? Anxiety, depression, hopelessness anger, frustration, okay? So we need to spend our attention budget tuning into the right thing, okay? So that's free 
Uh, that's not part of my message this morning, but come to Holy Spirit night tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, one, one of our peeps had a word about, uh, about waves, had a picture of just waves, just waves kind of crashing over us tonight, you know. So just come and let the Holy Spirit wash over you tonight. Just come. Your other option is to tune into something on Netflix and go to bed. All right, so. Anyway, so, uh, yes, welcome. And welcome people online. Welcome our friends online. Uh, you guys that are watching on our Facebook group, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel. Uh, give, me a, give me a like. Give me a, give me a comment. Give me something to let me know that you're alive and that you're paying attention and that you're with us and, and you're right with us this morning. So this morning what we're doing is we're wrapping up our walk through the book of 2 Corinthians. And, uh, you, oh, by the way, speaking of online, we are replaying the Sunday morning service now on Sunday night and on Saturday night. So if you kind of miss it or you kind of want to be there live, kind of live-ish, we are rebroadcasting our Sunday morning service live on Sunday night and Saturday, the following Saturday evening. So uh, you can always tune in there. So, but anyway, this morning we're, we're wrapping up our walk through 2 Corinthians. Uh, next week what we're doing is we are launching a new series called The Way of Wisdom. And uh, I, you guys are going to love it. I hope you tune in to that, all right? And, uh, but today I want to talk about, these are some of Paul's final words to the church. And you all know when you're kind of coming up on them final words, you have the important stuff. You know, this is the stuff that, this is the importance. That this, like, it's all important, but uh, I know that um, when, when I want to say my final words, I want to make them count. I want them to be the imp really important. And so um, these are sort of Paul's final words to the church. But first I want to tell you a little story. When Wendy and I first got married, I don't know if you guys can imagine this or picture this. This was 28 years ago. We first got married, we argued a lot. We argued, I mean, we probably had several heated arguments a week, two or three a week. And uh, we would argue most more than anything else we would argue about, you're never going to guess. You're not going to believe this. Money. We argued about money all the time. And uh, that was one thing. I remember just sitting in, like, mall parking lots arguing about money, grocery store parking lots arguing about money. And I know all you married people probably never argued about money. You're probably above us in that. That's only the number one thing that couples argue about, by the way. Um, but we argued about money, and finally, we're in the grocery store parking lot in Denver, Colorado. They have a chain of, of uh, grocery stores there with the dumbest name you've ever heard, King Supers, and spelled S-O-O-P-E-R-S. And so we're sitting in the parking lot of King Supers, and we're just, oh, we're just arguing. I don't even remember what it was about. It was probably... I wanted to buy something, and she was saying we couldn't afford it. That was probably what the argument was about. But uh, we're there. And then I, so I just declared, I'm doing it all. I'm going to do all of our financial management. I'm going to take care of the checkbook. I'm going to pay the bills. I'm doing it all. You're out of the loop. That was my declaration, because that's what I wanted to do. And 
That was that. And that was final. I'm taking care of the financial management. And I paid the bills, all the bills when they were due. I was never late on a single bill. I paid them all. But that was about the, the extent of my financial management, simply paying the bills and updating the checkbook register. That was it. Uh, that was really all I knew how to do. And so this guy, who's like, I'm going to pay the bills. I got it. I'm a genius. And you better acknowledge it. I'm taking care of the money. A few years later, bankruptcy. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Literal, we were in bankruptcy court. And it wasn't that I was a gambler. I wasn't a compulsive-ish spender. <laughs> not a terribly compulsive. OK, I may be a little denial there. The biggest thing, though, is I just never took the time to examine our finances closely. I never took the time to create a system to actually be intentional with my finances. And uh, I, I, I wasn't diligent in stewarding what God had provided for us. It was, um, you know, the, the idea of oversight is, is just really important. And in my case, I didn't give much oversight. And, uh, but oversight is just really important in any area of our lives, not just money. Oversight, diligence. And we don't intend to uh, find ourselves in bankruptcy. We don't intend to find ourselves overweight. We don't intend to find ourselves unhealthy. We don't intend to find ourselves that way. We just don't examine and manage those things very well. Right? We just don't examine and manage our health very well. We don't mean for our relationships to go sour. We just don't take the time to evaluate and intentionally work on our relationships. I think it's, it's, it's amazing, something about human character, that the very most important things in our lives die of neglect. Like, the most important things, we sort of have this assumption, right? Well, I turned out fine. My parents never took a parenting class, right? And then we don't intentionally parent our children, and then we go, what happened? Right? And so, uh, you know, we, we just, we don't, we just unintell <laughs> we unintentionally neglect the important areas, right? So in the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul urges the church to do just this in their faith. We're not talking about money. We're not talking about relationships. We're talking about the most important thing of all, right? And so what does he have to say about managing, intentionally examining and managing our faith? We're going to talk about that. Let me pray real quick. God, we love you so much. I pray, God, that you would open up your word to us to make it come alive in us, to make it bear fruit in us, to change us, God, to bring transformation. Oh, God, do it. We receive what you have to say to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 through 9. Remember, some, these are some of Paul's final words to the Corinthians church. And he says... Starting off, he says, examine yourselves. Everybody say, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. 
Test yourselves. So first he says, examine, see yourself. Then he says, test yourself. He's really pushing it. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. As you test yourselves, he says it again. I hope you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. I love what Paul is saying here. Read between the lines. Paul's going, look, if you're failing in your faith, it's not our fault. If you're failing in your faith, it's not the leader, it's not the church leadership's fault. Because what do we love to do when we're not doing well in life? When the church isn't healthy and strong and, and, and performing as the church, what do we like to do? We like to look at the leadership. Leadership is just this much of the church. The rest of y'all is this much of the church, right? And so it's so funny how much blame we can put on one person or two people or three people, but that's for another story. That's another message here. He says, we pray to God that you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. I hope we don't need to demonstrate our authority when we arrive. Do the right thing before we come, even if that makes it look like we have failed to demonstrate our authority. For we cannot oppose the truth, but must always stand for the truth. We are glad to seem weak if it helps show that you are actually strong. We pray that you will become mature. Everybody say, become mature. Look at the person next to you. Just tell them, become mature. Become mature. Right? So Paul actually even says, look, if you becoming mature makes us look weak, like the leadership didn't do their job, fine. I'm okay with that. As long as you become mature. As long as you become mature. So if you remember one thing this morning, I want you to remember this, and that's that a life examined is a life that's growing. A life examined is a life that's growing. A lot of us don't grow simply because we don't examine. We don't take the time to take our own spiritual temperatures. And so a life examined is a life that's growing. In our uh, spiritual lives, neglect is the door to ruin. In our spiritual lives, in our growth, in our walk with Jesus, it's neglect that opens the door to ruin. Just like neglect was the ruin of my financial life, right? But we're doing great now. We got back on. We learned some things. I learned some things. Okay, honey, I'll give it to you. I learned some things, right? But passiveness in our walk with Jesus leads to spiritual dullness. It leads to weak faith. It's passiveness that leads to moral compromise. It's just being passive. You don't have to do anything to ruin your faith. Just do nothing and it will ruin your faith, right? You don't plant a garden and walk away till it's time to harvest. I don't know any farmers that don't pull weeds, remove rocks, that don't, you know, uh, nourish the soil, right? Uh, that don't fertilize. You don't just plant a few seeds and expect to come back at harvest time, right? You examine it. You look for evidence of pests gnawing at it. You pull weeds things that shouldn't be growing there. You water your garden. You nourish it. It doesn't flourish through passivity. It requires attention and intention to make it flourish. But that's a garden. <laughs> what about our faith? What about the most important thing about us, our spirits? Here's a few questions that we can use to sort of examine ourselves in this area. You know, I love working with questions because questions make us think, right? So the first question is this, 
am I nourishing my walk with Jesus regularly? Ask yourself that. That's important. Am I nourishing my walk with Jesus regularly? Because at the end of the day, he who prays stays, and he who fasts... Thank you. Yes. He who prays stays, and he who fasts lasts. I've been a Christian for a long time. Long, like, 1982. Wow, it's a long time ago. A lot of you weren't even born in 82. It was that, that, and seeing E.T. were big deals in my life that year. <laughs> Both are timeless, yes, yes. Both point to heaven. Um, both touch your heart in special ways. But, <laughs> thanks, Linda. <laughs> right? Oh, gosh. But many people that I have known have come into the faith and left the faith since that time. And it's so heartbreaking. And without exception, every single person who left the faith are people who neglected their walk with the Lord. They just didn't pray. They just weren't people of the word. They had some sort of emotional experience. Maybe they wanted to escape hell. I don't know, you know, for whatever reason, they came into the faith, but they left. And a lot of times they left uh, in worse condition, more cynical, you know, all those things, more bitter. And so um, he who prays stays, he who fasts lasts. You wouldn't think of, you know, like I said, planting a garden, not watering it. Are you nourishing your walk with Jesus? If the extent of our spiritual nourishment is, is, is church attendance, we're missing it. Now, I want you to attend church because fellowship is an important part of being in the faith, the fellowship of the believers. Paul says not to neglect the gathering of the saints. That's important, okay? But let's just be realistic. The average American attends church three out of every eight Sundays. I don't think that's doing a whole lot to make you into a spiritual oak, right? Um, so uh, it's so important that we nourish our faith beyond Sunday morning in times of praise, times of prayer, times of worship. Am I in God's word regularly? Is worship a part of my life? Do I spend time with other believers in meaningful Christ-centered conversation? That's so important. I, you know what would, like, uh, would make my day is for our church to be our church's social circle. And I don't mean in like a circle the wagon sort of way, but when you're like, you know, I want to hang out with somebody tonight, that you would call somebody else from church and that you would go hang out. Not to smoke weed, but to talk about Jesus. Not to do things you shouldn't, but to gather and to pray and to worship. All right. Sometimes that happens in churches, you know. So I was like, I just got to make that disclaimer, people. So uh, <laughs> for Christ-centered fellowship, for crying out loud. So, but, uh, and, or, you know, come to Holy Spirit night tonight. Gather, fellowship, worship. Okay, those are important things to nourish our faith. Examine yourself in this area because it could make or break your spiritual life. If you know me, if you've been in this church any amount of time, you know what I want for you more than anything is to develop a dynamic prayer life. More than anything. If you all are in prayer regularly, I, then I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Our church is growing. Okay? And so the other thing is this. This is a great question to ask yourself. It's very important. How do I respond to correction? 
How do I respond to correction? Paul says, we pray to God that you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. How you respond to correction says so much about your spiritual condition. Just like dead plants are a sign that your garden is in bad shape, our response to correction is a sign of where we are spiritually. Okay? Do I blame others when I'm corrected? We all got children. We've all corrected our children and heard them blame their sibling. Right? Uh, do I blame others when I'm corrected? Do I deflect by pointing out how others need correction? Right? <laughs> yeah, well, why don't you go talk to him? Or maybe just not saying that and getting upset that you're not going to talk to him. Right? Do we blame either internally or do we say it out loud? That's huge. It says a lot about where you are spiritually. Do, do, do I make excuses for what you're correcting me for? Okay? Because we all have excuses. There's, already, there's always somebody else to blame. And yes, there's always somebody else that needs correction. But those are all things that just distract us from what God is trying to do in us. Here's what I've noticed, that if you let the Holy Spirit have his way, like really have his way, he will poke at areas that are very uncomfortable getting poked at. Ow, 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 not there, come on, you know. I mean, that's what it's like. The Holy Spirit will poke at areas that are very uncomfortable. Or do I re pretend to receive it and then get angry later on? Do I, do I kind of smile like a good Christian? Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. And then, like, go home and, like, what a butt, you know. In case you're wondering, I've done all of them. Twice. <laughs> At least, right? Humbly receiving and growing from correction is a sign of humility and spiritual health. It shows, and here's this is something that, that is going to show maturity in all of us, but it shows that we have nothing to prove. I don't need to prove to you that, you know, I'm not who you think I am. I don't need to prove to you that I don't need this correction. I don't need to prove to you that I'm this or that I'm that. I've got nothing to prove. And when we decide that we no longer have anything to prove, guess what? God can work with that. God can work with that. God can work with your humility. He cannot work with your pride, right? He couldn't work with Lucifer's pride. <laughs> But he can work with your humility. I don't know what it is about musicians. Anyway, right? They, they, they say that Lucifer was a musician. They say that he was a musician, that he was, hey, you know, some theologians believe that he led worship in heaven. So, uh, so I don't know what it is. Anyway, I love all you musicians. I'm a musician, right? Sometimes, part-time. Uh, but that leads me to the next question. Am I honest with myself? Am I honest with myself? Right? If you want to know, let me just go back to the last point. If you want to know if you're honest with yourself, examine how you respond to correction. When we don't humbly respond to correction, it's usually because we're just not fully honest with ourselves. And other people tend to see, and, and maybe there's people in your life, your spouse, your leaders, just other people, your boss, sometimes they can see things you can't. Sometimes when they've been around and they've done it longer, they just have a little higher perspective right? And uh, we need to let them speak into us even when we vehemently disagree with them. How do you respond to correction? 
Sometimes we lie to ourselves about other things. We deceive ourselves with thoughts like, I can handle it. That's probably one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves. I can handle it. I can handle it. Right? I can handle it. I can handle it when it comes to substances. I can handle it when it comes to pornography. I can handle it when it comes to this and that. And that. I can handle it is one of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves. Or it doesn't affect me that way. That, that's, that's like, you know... Uh, we tell ourselves that all the time. It doesn't, that doesn't affect me that way. You know, all that violence, that doesn't really affect me. All that this, that doesn't really affect me. All that doesn't... It's a lie. It's a lie. Okay? Any sin that you play with is going to end up playing with you. Any sin that you toy with is going to make a toy out of you. That, that's just the way it is, right? We don't, we don't creep up and, and dip our toes in sin. That's not what believers, that's not what Christians do. We don't, we don't stick our toes in sin and, pr- and play with it so that we can be relevant or we can experience that. Or we, you know, like so many of us, like we have freedom. But God doesn't give us freedom so that, you know, we can stumble over it. God gives us freedom so that we can lay it down for the sake of the gospel. That's why God gives us freedom. He gives us something to sacrifice to him and honor him with. And so we have to kind of get away with this false sense of freedom that we've been given. I'm not trying to put you under bondage. I'm just trying to help you out here. Okay? That's not, please understand my heart there. I'm not saying that out of a religious spirit or out of any sort of legalism. Uh, all I know is that a life that is uh, consistently walking in more and more sacrifice is a life that has more and more freedom. And so I just want everyone to be free. That's all. Okay? That was free. Okay, so uh, or we tell ourselves that we can, we, you know, we can handle it about being in certain relationships. Uh, we make excuses for behaviors that aren't Christ-like. But being dishonest with ourselves is usually the first step into situations that get pretty hairy later on. Okay? And so that leads me to the next question. Am I closer to doing the right thing in every, every, every area of my life? Am I closer to doing the right thing in every area of my life? Um... I'm thankful for the, that the Father doesn't expect perfection from me. I am. I'm so thankful he doesn't expect perfection from me. But like any good father, he wants to see his children grow up. Right? I don't want my children to be the same six months from now. I want my children to, to do the right thing. And I know all y'all with kids, you want your kids to do the right thing. You want them to grow in maturity. You want them to walk in holiness. You want them to walk in righteousness. Guess what? The Father wants that for you too. For you too. Okay? So we don't, you know, we don't just wake up and decide to be thousands of dollars in credit card debt. We don't just kind of wake up one day and go, you know what? Dude, I want spiraling debt in my life. That would be awesome. We don't wake up and think, you know what? I want it so that a single day won't go by without looking at porn. I want that. We don't wake up that way. We don't wake up and go, I want it so that I'm slobbering drunk. And, <laughs> right? and Ryan has to come you know, as a medic and resuscitate me or pull me out of the gutter. Right? I want that. No, we don't. We don't. We wake up and go, I can handle that. I can handle a little of that. I can stick my toe in that. I'm, you know, you guys heard me tell the old satellite dish illustration about a thousand times. You know, it's the little adjustment that we make right here and now is thousands of miles off in space, right? 
the little things, the little compromises that we make now, a year, two years, five years, ten years down the line, has us way off. And so we want to walk in maturity and not tell ourselves, I can handle it. Am I closer to doing the right thing in every area of my life? Okay, we don't want to make small compromises. And this is really especially important when nobody's watching. Uh, you know, one of the signs of maturity and growth is that we're the same person when nobody's watching as we are when people are watching, right? We, we worship with just as much abandon at home as we do at church. We, we don't say things at church to gain the approval of others and then go home and go, that's a bunch of BS, right? We don't, so we want to be the same person, uh, and, and we don't want to make small compromises. We want to be the same person when nobody's watching. So naturally, my next question is, am I honest with others? Am I honest with others? Am I the same person around others as I am alone? Am I a chameleon taking on different persona depending on who I'm around? Am I some sort of chameleon putting on a different persona, putting on a show here, putting on a show there, talking a certain way to impress people, right? It's so funny because I grew up in a culture where everybody loved sports, except for me. I was the one guy. Literally, I worked for a pastor in Connecticut who thought I was gay because I didn't watch sports. What? What? It wasn't him? That was a different guy? Oh, sorry, guy. So, sorry, guy in Connecticut. It was a different guy? In Geneva that thought I was gay because I didn't watch sports. What in the world? Holy cow. That's, and so I would try to, sorry, guy in Connecticut, if you ever see this. We're going to move on. So, <laughs> The point being is there were times I remember trying to fit in and talk sports talk. But I, I couldn't, and I didn't. And so I just decided to start saying, like I say now, sports put me to sleep. I'm sorry. They're boring. Lori, I love you. They're boring. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'd rather sit in the waiting room at the dentist than watch a football game. And it only gets more boring the less pro it goes. So college sports, <laughs> Lori's like going to get up and walk out. Yeah, there she goes. See you later. Stream cuts off. We're done. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Am I honest? Am I the same person? Okay. Do I tell little lies to protect my reputation or to create a reputation? Am I honest with others? Do I tell the truth about myself? Do I tell the truth? And so it's so, it just so, so, so important that we are honest. We're honest. And the last thing is this, the question that we ask ourselves, have I matured in my walk with Jesus over the past six months? Have I matured? Maturity and growth are not measured by study and listening to podcasts. This is, this is really important that we kind of wrap our brains around this because we tend to equate study with maturity. Now, study is fertilizer for maturity, but it is not maturity. Maturity is measured by change. 
Maturity is measured by growth. Okay? And we tend to mistake inspiration for maturity. Inspiration is not maturity. So when we go to a conference, when we have a retreat, which are wonderful things, when we go to church, and we have a sense of inspiration, that's wonderful. I love it, and I love being inspired. But it's not growth. It's not growth. Growth is measured in change. Knowledge is power. It's not power. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge properly applied is power. And it's so important that we understand that. How do we know that we've changed? Here's one. Am I more loving? Am I more loving? Am I less critical? Am I less cynical? Those two things, man, they're so tough. Cynicism and criticism, first of all, they're not Christ-like. Second of all, it's almost like a lid on your growth. Cynicism and criticism. When we, when, uh, am I more forgiving? There's another question. Am I more forgiving? Okay. Am I less angry? Do I have fewer bitter conversations in my mind? And other people, you know? Sometimes, you know, we get in the shower. Anybody here have angry conversations in the shower? A few honest people? Yeah, because we get in the shower, hot shower, we zone out, and our mind tends to go to just sort of default. And our, so a lot of times our minds will default towards angry conversations, you know, with people that we're upset with and all those things. And then we got to, like, forgive them all over again and all that stuff. You know what you do? Start taking cold showers. You just want to get in and out of there, and you don't have those angry conversations. Start taking cold showers. They're great. They're great. But am I more forgiving? Am I less angry? Have I grown in generosity? That is a sign of maturity. Have I grown in generosity? Generosity with my time. Generosity with my attention. Yes, generosity with my finances. Why do we do a little kind of giving talk? A little kind of giving sermon before we take up the offering is because we understand that if, if, if you can open your heart and you can change in that area, that is an area of maturity, of maturity. It's so sad that 3% of American Christians tithe. Three! 3%! That means that 97% of American Christians somehow claim that they can't afford to. I call bull. I'll let somebody else say it for me after church. But I call bull. 97% of American Christians can't afford to tithe. Come up with reasons, come up with excuses. But maturity goes, hey, it's all his. It's all his. That's part of spiritual maturity is this abandonment and understanding that all we have comes from him, and so it's all his. It's all his. The awesome thing about it is God only asks for 10%. He gives you 100% and goes, hey, how about hitting me back with 10 Right? Have I grown with generosity? That's an important, uh, let's say, metric in, in spiritual growth. And if you can't describe how you're different than you were six months ago, then today would be a good day to just examine yourself. Just examine yourself. Give your spirit some attention. Give your spirit some intention. Don't let it starve or languish in neglect, in neglect. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is just close by taking a moment to answer the questions, to write them down. Hopefully you all got a bulletin. I think the questions are in the bulletin, are they? A little space under the question. And so, in fact, let's do this. If you don't have a bulletin, raise your hand. Vince will come, come by and, and, and uh, get you one. 
Anybody not have a bulletin? Think we ran out of bulletin? Okay, so there we go. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna have the the uh, worship team come back up. But as we sing the song, I want you to uh, feel free to stay seated if you want to to stay seated and reflect on these questions and to write out the answers to these questions. Okay, so do a little thinking. Let's let's practice what we preach today. Am I nourishing my walk with Jesus regularly? How do I respond to correction? Am I honest with myself? Am I closer to doing the right thing in every area of my life? Am I honest with others? How have I matured in my walk with Jesus over the last six months? I want you to write these things down. Patiently examine yourself. And you know what? You can come back tonight and examine yourself some more and worship and pray. And so I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give you the freedom to sit or stand or whatever, but just take some time to answer these questions as we wrap up this morning. Lord, I thank you that you care about our growth. Like any good father, like any good father, you care about our growth. And you challenge us to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, so that we do not neglect the one thing about us that's eternal, that will be forever, that's our spirit. God, help us to be honest, to be people who grow, to be people who can look back every few months and go, wow, I've grown in that area. I'm more loving. I'm, I'm less bitter. I'm less cynical. I'm less critical. I'm more generous. I'm seeing God work these things in me. And even when they don't feel very inspiring and they don't feel very exciting, God, we know that you are work and you are doing it in us. So God, have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name.